Hey, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Woodstock City Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to download the Woodstock City Church app where you can access all of our recent message content as well as find out about what's going on around Woodstock City Church. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Um, so if you didn't know, our church here, Woodstock City, is uh, a collection of churches in the Atlanta area. We've got eight campuses. Um, our church is pretty incredible. has partner churches all, all over the world. But we've got eight campuses here in the Atlanta area, and we all kind of link up and do church together. And, um, and every six to eight weeks or so, all of the staff from all of our churches come together uh, for an all-staff meeting. And we usually go to our Alpharetta location um, at North Point, and we all come together for a meeting. And I remember I started on staff here in January of 2015, and I was so excited for my first all staff. And at the time, there were three, 400 employees, which to some of you are like, ah, that's not that big of a deal. For me, coming straight out of school, that was a massive deal. And so I was excited. I've heard some great things about all staffs. They're fun, you know, and and so I get there. And right when I walk in, I walk into the massive room, kind of just like this, I see tables and people congregating around tables, and I see no one that I know. And here I am. 26 years old, overly confident in just about everything. I, like, I knew all the answers to everything at 26 years old. I've, I've regressed. Um, but, and suddenly, I, I, I see no one that I know, and, and you, you felt this. You, you know this. You've experienced this. Uh, you, you walk in, and I, I felt something physically, like, inside of me, like, like, painful. Like, I don't know what to do. I'm freaking out on the inside. So I did. I go into survival mode, and I do what any of you guys would have done in the 21st century. I faked a phone call, and I walked to the bathroom. <laughs> and I, and I, 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 went, I went into a stall. Like, I, like if I'm going to go, I'll, I'll pretend like I'm really, like, I don't want, you know. So I went into the stall, and I'm not kidding. I stood in the stall, and I was like, all right, now what? I'm like, well... I have no idea. You know, I'm literally in the stall and I just waited to get enough courage to walk out of the bathroom back into the room, hoping, and you've been there, I'm walking as if I'm going somewhere, but really I'm just trying to walk long enough to find an acquaintance, a face that I recognize, somebody that I know. And that moment and that experience, I laugh at it now, but that moment, it reminded me of something that is true of me and reminded me of something, and maybe even taught me in a brand new way, something that is true of humans. It's like I knew that that existed when I was in middle school, but I learned it's something that we never outgrow, which is the fear and the discomfort of being alone. The, the, the fear and the discomfort of not knowing, not connecting, and not belonging to other people. Here I was surrounded by a bunch of people, and y'all, I work at a church. They're nice people. (laughs) Surrounded, but still felt all alone. And so today we kick off a brand new series called Find My Friends. And yes, that is an app that some of you parents use to stalk your children. Anybody? Huh? Okay, don't raise your hand. Um, And then it's also the app that some of you boyfriend and girlfriends use to stalk. I'm kidding. We're not going to go there. Different conversation for a different day. Just stop it. Relax. So find my friends though. Find my friends. Belonging in a lonely world and what this series of conversations will be about is the thing that we all crave. It's the thing that we never outgrow. 
And ironically, it's also the thing that grows more elusive as we grow older. The thing that we were literally created for, and you've probably guessed it, it's our friends. Our friends, your friends, and my friends. And by friends, here's what I mean. Let me paint a picture for you. Real, authentic, life-giving friendships. Like friends that you can laugh with, friends that you can have a good cry with, friends that you can parent along, friends that you can learn from, friends that you can be bad at golf with. Am I right? Um, Friends that will help you move. That's a real friend. (laughs) Friends that can show up unannounced and it's not stressful. That just stressed some of y'all out big time. The thought of that. Um, Friends that you can celebrate the highs of life with. Friends that you can walk through the lows of life with. Friends that'll challenge you. Friends that'll be real with you. Friends that'll be honest with you. Friends that will show you tough love because they love you and they wanna see what's best for you. Friends that are interested in actually loving you, not just what you have to offer them. Friends that you can have unscheduled, unhurried time with and it just feels like family. Friends that you feel the safety to be fully known by. Friends, or a village of people, a village of people that you can do life with and you can walk in your faith alongside. Find my friends. And my hope for this series, my hope for this series And this is so personal for me and my journey. And even now as me and Julie are learning what it looks like to to live in community and and we've gone through different seasons and now we have kids and, and, and all that changes as you head into different seasons. My hope for you, my hope for you is that you would be inspired toward these kinds of friendship, maybe for the first time, that you would be inspired back to, maybe for the first time in a long time, or inspired to be more intentional with the real, authentic life giving friendships and community that you and I, I hope to convince you of today, are quite literally created for. Hardwired into the DNA of who we are as humans created for. And I find this conversation in this series such a, a timely one, right? We love to talk to our kids about who their friends are, and it's a really important topic, and, and, I, you know, um, and that's great. But we rarely talk to adults, and we really talk as adults about who our friends are. But can we just be real? One of the reasons why this is such a timely conversation It can be difficult and awkward and even weird to do adult friendships. It's like, uh, how do I, some of y'all, how do I make a friend as an adult? Like, I'm just being like, there are times and seasons of life where that feels way more natural. You're in school, right? You're you're making friends. You're in college. You're connected to a lot of people. You're making friends. But then you, you get out of school and you're into the real world. You're working. And then, you, you know, you're, you get married, then you have kids, and then you're kind of connected to who, if, you're, if your kids have friends, and then, you know, their, their parents become friends, but then your kids might leave an empty net. There's just, once you become an adult, for whatever reason, it just feels a little less natural to either make friends or cultivate the kind of friendships that you and I were created for. I don't want it to be weird. I don't want it to be weird. Let's talk about it, and let's figure out what it might look like for you and I to live in that type of community. Another reason why this conversation is so timely is because we are living in a world, and statistics show, and I'm gonna show you some of the research and the science behind this in just a minute, but we are living in a world where people, where people are more isolated and lonelier than ever before. Loneliness 
Loneliness is a massive problem in our world right now. And this isn't just like a, 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 an aftershock of COVID. Loneliness was already a massive thing going on in our country. COVID just kind of made it even worse. Did you know that three in five Americans report frequently struggling with loneliness? Three in five. And that's frequently struggling. That's not anyone that might struggle with it even a little bit or have feelings of loneliness. 51% of mothers with young children report struggling with loneliness. 61% of young adults, 61% of young adults, some of the people that, that arguably, you know, were more connected than ever before because of the world that we live in, 61% of young adults ages 18 to 26 report struggling with loneliness. And loneliness is different than being alone, right? Solitude, getting alone, recharging, that can be good for you, but loneliness is is different, and I love how Brene Brown, who has done so much study in this world, and I cannot get enough of her stuff. Brene Brown, this is kind of how she puts some language around loneliness. She says, at the heart of loneliness is the absence of meaningful social interaction. Come on, isn't it true? We're good at just social interaction. We do that a lot. We do that a lot. We do that online. We even do that just with our friends. We text all the time. You know, maybe you're, you, you send viral videos back and forth. Maybe some of you, you, you know, you, you do dinner and it's social interaction. Keyword here is meaningful, she says. That at the heart of loneliness is the absence of meaningful social interaction. This is why we can be surrounded by people and still feel alone. This is why we can have hundreds of friends online and still feel lonely. This is why there's been a part of you that maybe has craved more out of a relationship that's surface level because you see the potential of it. And this isn't an introvert extrovert thing. This is a human thing. It's something we crave. Connection, love, and belonging with others. And so what I want to do for just the next few minutes this morning is I want to set up where we're going to go the next couple of weeks. We're gonna get really practical and we're gonna get into, hey, what do these friendships look like? What does that have to do with my faith and how do I cultivate these friendships and what's at stake if I don't? But today, I just wanna set up the need that you and I were created to have as it relates to our friendships and the need we have for community. I'm gonna look at some of the science. We're gonna geek out a little bit because I enjoy looking at the sciences because research shows how important this is. But then we're gonna look into the scriptures to see um, the origins of where this all came from and even a theology of community and maybe understanding the importance of it in a way like never before. And, and, and really, one more disclaimer. Um, there are some of you in the room that you're like, man, I'm all about this. I, 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 this is great. I'm feeling this. Like, I'm, you know, we, I'm having a hard time connecting, or I feel like my friends could, you know, we could, we could be better, or, hey, me and my wife are having a hard time. We're in a season where we're kids, and, and we're having a hard time connecting with friends. What, what, how does this work? I don't know. So for some of you, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm right here with you, Sam. But then there's some of you, if you're just being honest, you don't have to raise your hand, where you're just kind of like, okay, well, I guess I'll just... Hang tight for the next three weeks until the new series starts, because I don't need friends. <laughs> and if I'm being real, I can say this because I'm a guy, okay? Specifically the guys in the room. This would be such an easy thing for you to just brush off. I don't know what it is about our hard-headedness, but there is something about us that's just like, no, nah, I'm fine. I'm good. Yeah, I've got friends. Yeah, whatever. No, no, no. If I could just challenge you and lean in for just a second. This conversation could be one of the most impactful ones that you've ever leaned into. So for the next three weeks, I just wanna invite you to lean in. 
And to ask some questions, and maybe even a starting point for you today is to ask the question, why is it, why is it that it is so difficult to admit, yeah, maybe I was created to really be connected to people? Because the other reality is, and we're going to dig into this a little bit next week, for some of us, we, we might feel like we're connected to people, but there's a false sense of intimacy. So we're going to set up, um, we're going we're gonna to set up where we're going um, today. And I want to look, look at some of the science and some of the research behind this. You guys remember learning about Maslow's, um, uh, Ma- Abraham Lasmo- Maslow's hierarchy of needs? You guys remember this? You probably think back to a textbook in, in high school or college, wherever you learned this. And Maslow was a psychologist who had, um, he created this theory, uh, the hierarchy of needs, where he kind of put in a pyramid-like fashion the needs, the basic needs that we all have as humans to survive and then to thrive, that we need these needs to be met in order to survive and then to thrive. Um, and and, and they, they're kind of built on each other because uh, his theory suggests that your brain scans for certain needs before it scans for others, right? And so at the very bottom of this is that we have physiological needs. And this is like water, right? Food, shelter, like just basic human needs for survival. And then after that is safety needs. Um, this is the need to want to know that you're physically safe. So when you walk into an environment, your brain is scanning to make sure that you are physically safe because it needs to know that you are. Then after that, love and belonging needs, um, the need for love, connection, and belonging and friendship with other people. Then you've got self-esteem needs, right? This desire um, to, to, be, to, to be confident in who you are and who, who you were created to be. And then self-actualization needs, this need we have to fulfill our greatest potential. Now, the way that this theory works is that your brain, to a certain degree, works through these levels and scans whatever environment you're in to make sure these needs are met. And you'll be happy to know this morning that your brain's primary job is to keep you alive. That it's its primary job is to keep you alive. That's why when, I don't know, if you're getting chased by a bear, you're not worried about reaching your fullest potential. You just want to survive, right? That's your fight or flight mechanism. When fight or flight mechanism kicks in and that whole science is really fun, a conversation for another day, that is your brain saying physiological and safety needs are what is most important. Fight or flight in order to survive. But after, Maslow argues, after your brain sees that a certain need is met, well, your your brain kind of stops scanning the environment for that need and it moves on to the next one. And after your brain knows that, okay, you've got a very high chance of surviving here, wherever you are, then it moves on to making sure you are going to thrive. And what Maslow's theory suggests is that after your brain knows that you are physically safe in order to survive, the need that your brain would look for next in order to thrive as a human is love, connection, and belonging. That's why for some of us, if we're just being honest, let's just take this moment right here, that for some of you, walking into this space, right, you're not wondering, okay, where's the nearest water, you know, like, okay, well, there's, okay, I got it, water fountain right there, okay, I'm good on the, no, no, you you know you're good there, like maybe it's a little bit uncomfortable walking in here, but you're seated and, and you feel safe, but you might be wondering, I'm uncomfortable because I don't know anybody. I'm uncomfortable because I don't know if this church can be for me. I'm uncomfortable because it's my first time and I'm not really sure what, what, what's, what's going on here. Or maybe I'm uncomfortable because I've been coming here for a long time and I hate that I still don't have somebody to sit with. Right? Your brain works through these levels and once the need is met, it scans the next one. And on an emotional level, we understand the importance of love and belonging. We, we felt this. I mean, come on. 
let's just call it like it is. We don't like to talk about this as much as, a, as, much as, you know, as much as we should as adults, but there's nothing worse than not belonging. There, there, there's nothing worse than feeling invisible. We're good at masking it as adults and, and making sure that we can kind of hide it, but come on. We've all felt the pain of rejection. We've all felt the awkwardness like I did, walking into a room, knowing nobody, and you pull out your phone and scroll on your calendar to 2027, waiting to find someone you know. You know, open every app in your phone until you see a familiar face. We've felt that awkwardness. We've also experienced the fear of wondering whether or not it's safe enough for somebody to fully know us, what we're going through, how we're doing, how my marriage is really going, where I'm struggling. We've all felt that fear, but we've also desired to want to feel safe enough to be fully known. Yeah, this desire for love and belonging. Come on, um, it was true in grade school, but the truth is it might manifest itself differently as we get older, but that desire never goes away. I read a book um, by an author named Jenny Allen, and I'm gonna quote, quote her here in a few minutes, but she wrote in a book that I read recently um, that we come out of the womb looking for someone and we never stop. And on a scientific level, the research shows how important this is. And I wanna show, just, just show you a couple of things. One, this is fascinating, that neuroscience has showed us that the same neuropathways that light up when we feel pain are the same neuropathways that light up when we're experiencing loneliness. It's like your body is hardwired to tell you, hey, this is not okay, this is not natural, this is not how you were created to live. Another study that was done, and this one, y'all, you are gonna think I made this up, but I didn't, okay? I don't lie often. I'm a pastor. Um, I, I, did, I, did, I did not make this up. You could go find this study online. It is so fascinating. There was this study that was done, um, and they were basically trying to figure out what would lead to, um, to, lead to a, a greater chance of an early death, okay? I know it sounds kind of like morbid, but just go with me here for a second. Here's what the study showed. This is science. You go read this online. You, you can go Google it. Here's what the study showed. That air pollution, air pollution increases your odds of dying early by 5%, okay? 5% increases your odds of dying early. Then the study goes on and they compared it to obesity. Obesity increases your odds of dying early by 20%. Then they, they go on and excessive drinking increases your odds of dying early by 30%. And then they compared that to loneliness. And loneliness, you gotta think I'm making this up. I'm not making this up. Loneliness increases your odds of dying early by 45%. That if I were to show you just a list of those things and which one were most detrimental to your well-being and even how long you would live, there is no way you or me would have put loneliness at the very, very top. And more research today is showing it's more detrimental than a lack of exercise and, and your diet and so many things combined. Loneliness and isolation is so unnatural to who we are as humans that research shows how detrimental it is, even to the degree that it affects your life expectancy. Loneliness, loneliness disconnects us from what it means to be human. Loneliness and isolation disconnects us from what it means to be human to the degree to which you and I will never be able to thrive in a place of loneliness. 
and isolation. And God himself, God himself, the one who I believe, and we'll talk about this in just a second, created us. He actually, um, he actually puts this on display for you and for me. Like where in the world, where in the world does this need come from? You know, where in the world does this, does this science, like what is this science showing about loneliness? Like where does that come from? Where's the origin of this? Well, I wanna take us back to the very character of who God is for a moment, okay? We're gonna, we're gonna make your brain hurt for a second, but if you just stick with me, I think it's gonna make sense. And if not, I don't know what to tell you. Um, just kidding. Okay, so one of the primary tenets of the Christian faith One of the primary tenets of the Christian faith is the very beginning of the theology of the importance of the community that you and I were created for. One of the primary tenets of the Christian faith is that God is a triune God. That that God, um, the Trinity of God, that God exists as one God, but three persons, okay? So the Trinity is God exists as one God, but three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Each fully and equally God, and each with their own distinct roles, they are one God, one God, but distinct three persons. One God, three persons. And watch this. Jesus, in John chapter 14 and 16, tells us that they are connected relationally. So one God, each of them equally God, but Father, Son, Spirit, distinct persons within the Trinity, and they all are connected relationally to each other. In fact, Jesus, this is what he tells us, and, and you can go read this scripture. This is just a, a summary of Jesus' teaching. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they glorify one another. That's what Jesus teaches us. They glorify one another. What does it mean to glorify someone? It means to praise them. It means to enjoy their company. It means to delight in them. It means to serve them. It means to defer to them. It means to sacrifice for them. So what Jesus is saying is that our God that is a trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, um, is not characterized by self-centeredness or individualization. No, 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 but rather by mutually self-giving, self-sacrificing love. Here's what I want you to get. God in his very essence, in his very essence, is relational. And oftentimes, and this this is really important, we talk all the time about God being relational in that he wants a relationship with us. That's true, but take ourselves out of the equation for a minute. Even without us, God within himself is relational. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Like, y'all, God is a community. How about making that brain hurt for a second? God is a community. Like, you thought your community group was awesome. The Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son, they've been meeting on Sunday nights for all of eternity. It's a great small group. Holy Spirit makes incredible guacamole. (laughs) God is a, he's a community in his very essence. And this paints a beautiful picture of a verse that maybe you've heard before. It gives us a theology of community and a bigger picture of who God is. In 1 John chapter 4, Verse eight, the apostle John, who spent time with Jesus, he was describing who God is, and this is what he said. He says, and we're gonna unpack it a little bit more later in the series, but whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Again, most of my adult life, I've read God is love in the sense that that means God loves me, and that is true, and I think that scripture teaches that, but there's a even 
um, more beautiful picture when we understand the Trinity. God is love. Take us out of the equation. God, in every sense of the word, is literally love within himself. That God exists relationally within himself. God exists self-sacrificially within himself. He does not live in isolation as God. No, God as we know it, the one God exists in three distinct persons. Does that make my brain hurt? Yes. Can I fully explain how that is? No. But it's who God is. And that very God who exists in community relationally connected to each other, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That God is the one that created us. Going back to the creation account, Genesis chapter one, verse 27. Again, you've heard this, but maybe there's, there's new meaning here. Genesis chapter one, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In, in the image of God, he created them. God, the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, the community. He created us in his image. I prefer the word likeness, that we were created to be like God. We were created to reflect God. And so the very God that in his essence is relational stamped that desire inside of you and me. And I, I mentioned Jenny Allen earlier. She, she wrote a book called Find Your People. I cannot recommend it enough. It's so good. And this is kind of her commentary on what it means to be created in the image of God as it relates to community. She says this. She says, it, us being created in the image of God, it means that he created us out of relationship because in his essence, he literally is a relationship. And then for relationship because we were created to reflect his likeness. And not a relationship that is surface level or self-seeking. No, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they glorify each other. They sacrifice to each other. They defer to one another. So then, no, the relationship he has in mind for us that reflects who he is, is sacrificial, intimate, moment by moment connection. No, 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 the complete opposite of loneliness and isolation the complete opposite of the unnatural way of life that is loneliness and living isolated. No, sacrificial, intimate, and moment-by-moment connection. And and really quick, let me just speak to the person who has a question about Genesis or I've got some questions about the creation account or uh, you're still trying to figure out faith and you're not sure what you do or don't believe about Genesis or the Bible. I, I get that, but that is beside the point. Because what this is teaching us is the overarching principle that you and I were created with a desire that you cannot deny. That you and I are created with a need that you, no matter your faith, could argue that we were created to love, to connect, and to belong. So then that very God who created us in his image to reflect that likeness, it's no surprise then that later on in Genesis chapter two, God creates Adam. Adam's just hanging out in the garden. It's just him and God. Sin hasn't entered into the world yet. It's just God and Adam. They're good. They've got a great relationship. And then God himself looks down at Adam by himself in the garden and this is, this is what he says, Genesis chapter two, verse 17. Then the Lord God said, it is not good. It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. It is not good for the man to be alone. It is not beneficial. It is not helpful. It is not best. It is not fruitful. It is not natural. 
in the way in which I created things, God said for man to be alone. Remember, this is before sin entered into the world, before evil made its way into the world, before the fall of man happened in the world. Before all of that, God looked at the situation and says, hey, Adam, I know you and I are good, but, but watch this, don't miss this. God looked at Adam and said, but there's no one that exists that is fully like you. So I'm gonna fix that because I created you to desire connection. Yes, with me, but then with somebody that is like you. So he created Eve. It is not good for you or for me to be alone. And, and I don't know if this is true. I don't know if this is true, but I, I don't know. There's times when I've wondered, why didn't he just create Adam and Eve like straight off the bat, like together? Maybe it was because one day, he knew we would, he would need to illustrate to us that when I created the first one by himself, there's no way he was gonna be able to thrive in life by himself. So God is love, exists as love in and within himself, stamped us with his likeness to not only need and need and crave that connection, but then to reflect it. So then logically, how does this, play out? And why is loneliness and isolation so unnatural? And come on, you know this, but I'm just going to spell it out for us. Love cannot exist in isolation. Even the fact that God is love, he is not just one. It is God, but three persons and love exists within themselves. So love cannot exist in isolation. God models that for us. And then he showed us when he created Eve. No, no, love demands another. Love demands another. Love demands another. And so for our context, it's either God or people, but it's not either or. It's not either or. Because God created us, yes, to be fully satisfied when we can live in relationship with him, but he created us to the degree and in, in, in our reality is that there will always be something missing from your life if community is missing from your life. It's not that God isn't big enough to fill that void. It's that he did not create you for that. He did not create you just to be, okay, yeah, it's just me and God forever and no one else matters. No, 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 no. God created us so that there will always be something missing from your life if community is missing from your life. Science proves it. Our bodies literally tell us. And then the God that created us, he's the one that looked at Adam and says, oh, you know what? Mm -mm. It's not good for him to be alone. The Christian life, it's a communal life. And we're gonna unpack this um, specifically next week. But you look at the early church and you look at everything in the way that spelled out first in the scriptures and how the early church operated and even how Jesus operated. Everything about the Christian life was meant to be a communal life. I mean, come on. We gather here even during the week. Everything's centered around community and we're gonna unpack a little bit more next week. And maybe you've heard this before, but your faith, your faith is personal, but it was never meant to be private. Personal, but never meant to be private. And I think this is one of the most attractive things about our faith. You ready? Watch this. Because in a world, in a world that says you are weak if you need help, in a world that says you need to have it all together, don't let anybody see the kink in the armor, in a world that says don't show your true self, because if you really show your true self, then you might get judged or... Don't show us your struggles because you might get canceled. 
in a world that says you've got to show us the perfect self, in a world that says, hey, relying on others is weakness, then the, the faith that God created and the way that he created you and I is right behind needing God. Watch this. We need each other. Eugene Peterson, who is a brilliant, was a brilliant theologian. He was a pastor. And if you ever read the translation of the Bible called The Message, it's taken scriptures and translating into modern day language. Eugene Peterson, he's the brainchild behind that. He was the one that did that. And this is, this is his take on it is not good for man to be on. Listen to the strength of the language here. He says, there can be no maturity in the spiritual life, no obedience in following Jesus, no wholeness in the Christian life apart from an immersion in an embrace of community. And then he says this incredible line. This is so powerful. He says, I am not myself by myself. I am not by myself by myself. Come on, I'll be honest with you. If there's someone that could translate the whole Bible into this translation that's really popular, I'd bet on them to do life by themselves. Not him. He goes on, community, not the highly vaunted individualism of our culture, is the setting for living the Christian life. I am not myself by myself. I am not fully myself by myself. Me, me, I'm talking about myself. I am not all that God created me to be by myself. I will never be the father, the husband, the pastor, the leader, and the follower of Jesus that I can be by myself. And come on. Your obedience to Jesus and mine, your courage to follow and mine, your ability to live and love more like Jesus and mine, our knowledge of God and even of the scriptures, our ability to see different perspectives and mature in our understanding will always be lacking if we are disconnected from the community that God designed us for, that encourages us, spurs us on, sharpens us. Your joy in life, our emotional health in life, our ability to persevere when life happens, even us being reminded of God's goodness and faithfulness in the midst of the mess, all of that lacking when we are disconnected from the Christ-centered, sacrificial, intimate friendships that you and I were created for. So, here's what I want you to do. Here's your, here's your homework. Okay, because we're, we're gonna dive into to what this all looks like next week. I just wanted to set the stage for the need that we have. Here, here, here's your homework. I want you to do an audit. I want you to do an audit of your friendships. Like an audit of your relate. Like evaluate all oh, my accountants are like, Oop, got it, I can do that. I can audit, I can do whatever. Um, do accountants audit? Is that how that works? Doesn't matter, moving on. Um, I want you to evaluate the health like, I just want you to ask the question. This is the first question, Angel. Like, where are you now? As it relates to your friendships, just answer the question, where are you now? And maybe you can talk about it on your ride home. Maybe you can journal about it. Like, but just like, where are you now? What is your satisfaction level with, with your friendships? Are they all surface level? Are there some where you feel like you're leaving some meat on the bone? Because I'm like, man, I feel like, I feel like this could be what I needed, but we just, we haven't gotten honest and serious and, and it's just kind of, always just surface level. Like, like evaluate where you are. What are some of the gaps in your friendship that you wish weren't gaps? What do you feel like is missing in the life of your friendships?
Where are you now? Just answer honestly, right? Like, you don't have to tell anybody. Just be honest about where you are now. And then I want you to answer the question, okay, well, then what is holding me back? What is holding me back from what I was created for? What is holding me back? Is it pride? Is it fear? It's scary to be, to, be, to be known by others. It's terrifying. Is it convenience? Busy, time? Like isolation is certainly convenient at best. Like what is it that is holding you back? Maybe, maybe you're like, I, I, don't, I don't even have these people in my life yet. Okay, come back next week. Whatever it would cost you and whatever that thing that is holding you back, I just hope you hear me this morning that it is worth every bit of risk It is worth every bit of initial awkwardness because we need each other. And one of the beauties of the church is that it was never, never, never about a building. The church, as defined for us in the New Testament, is a movement, a gathering, a community of living, breathing people that need each other. Other. And I love what the psalmist, this picture that he paints in Psalm chapter 68. He goes, a beautiful picture of the church. He says this, he says that God makes a home for the lonely. God makes a home for the lonely. How cruel would it have been for God to create us with this need and then not put before us people to fill that need. No, no, on the contrary, if we'd be willing to lean in, if we'd be willing to get uncomfortable, if we'd be willing to take the first step to cultivate, I'm just telling you, God will begin to leverage and use the friendships in your life to create safe spaces for you to be fully you. He will use the friendships in your life to to create space where you can take refuge where you can rest in the friendship. You can rest in the security and the peace and the joy and the life-giving nature of these friendships that reflect the very heart of God to us. And I don't wanna give away too much, but even in my own life, outside of the scriptures, God uses the friends in my life to speak to my heart the most. So, it starts though with being honest about where we are now. I don't know who you are, myself included. Me and my wife were talking about this last night. We can all find gaps in ways in which our friendships can be healthier. And if we can identify ways in which we can begin to cultivate these types of friendships better. But where are you now and what is holding you back? And real quick, before, before I pray, before I pray. Don't like go off and like send off a group tag. Like, guys, we gotta fix our friends. My pastor said, da, da, da. everyone just relax, Okay. Don't go crazy. I'm not saying the house is on fire. Okay, I just want you to evaluate where you are this week. And then let's jump into the conversation next Sunday and start to put some practical handles on what this looks like for you and for me. And I'm gonna close with this. I'm gonna close with this. One of the most spiritual things that you could do and one of the best things that maybe ever happened to your faith and to your marriage and to your ability to be a father and a Jesus follower is to figure out what it looks like to cultivate the types of friendships that God created us for. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us. 
Thank you that you see us. Thank you for giving us the church. And Father, thank you for putting people in our paths. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the courage to do the hard work of asking some hard questions. I pray you'd give us the courage to evaluate where we really are relationally. I pray you'd give us the courage to identify what might be holding us back from the friendships that we need so much. And I pray, Lord, that this week you would start to do a work in our hearts to open us up to the people that you've put right there in front of us. Would you give us the courage to begin to cultivate the kind of friendships that honor and reflect you and allow us to better love and follow you? We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.